0: We're on a mission from God. Wendy? it! So I got that going for me. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong weight to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I you I thought they smelled bad. On the outside.
1: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film released in the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
2: I'm Jesse Bayliss. And
1: I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Final Countdown on August 1st, 1980. It was written by Thomas Hunter, Peter Powell, David Ambrose, and Jerry Davis, based on a story by Everybody But Davis, directed by Don Taylor, and released by United Artists.
2: And has nothing to do with that song.
1: Correct. Uh, The IMDb Trivia does say that the band Europe was inspired by this movie to write that song, but I couldn't corroborate that anywhere else. And the song is about space travel, and it's very David Bowie-esque. And I don't believe it. I don't (laughs) believe that it has anything to do with this. Producer Peter Douglas, son of Kirk, was the driving force behind getting this film made. Money was saved by producing it with the full cooperation of the U.S. Navy on board the USS Nimitz. The first time they set up to record a jet taking off, either the crewman played a prank on them or someone seriously underestimated the force of a jet blast because the camera and operator were blasted down the runway of the ship. God, Uh,
2: that just sounds dangerous. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The film went remarkably over budget after the production offered to reimburse $4,125 per hour of flight time and the 32.5 hour budget quickly expanded to 200 hours.
2: Oh my God.
1: It was later used as a recruitment tool by the Navy. 48 crew members of the Nimitz are featured in the cast. Some even have lines. Producer and Kirkchild Peter Douglas, also plays a part in the film, as does associate producer Lloyd Kaufman, founder of Troma Entertainment. It was this film that officially put Kaufman off ever working with the studio system again. Michael Douglas had wanted to audition for the Martin Sheen role, but was stuck on the press tour for China Syndrome when that film had gone over schedule.
2: And this will forever cement... My problem telling the difference between Martin Sheen and Michael Douglas. Yes.
3: <laughs> but also um, we got get, get another China Syndrome reference in there. Thank you, Pat. Yeah.
1: Also, it's uh, fun to point out that Charlie Sheen and Michael Douglas, the sons of these two actors, would appear together in the Wall Street films. It's true. Say that again. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk's son, Michael, and Martin's son, Charlie, Yes. are both in Wall Street.
2: Okay, yeah. I I can confirm that. (laughs) I actually haven't seen that movie.
1: (laughs) At the beginning of the film, Mr. Tideman's car arrives at the gate to the naval base in Pearl Harbor. At the same time, Mr. Lasky is dropped off by a different car and preps to board a helicopter when he notices Tideman's vehicle and moves to speak with him before getting to DeChapa. He is greeted by Mr. Tideman's executive assistants who inform him that Tideman is just here to see him off, no introduction necessary.
0: It isn't necessary, Mr. Lasky. As I said... He came to see
3: you all but lasky is completely okay with it yeah like he 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 understands that this is this how this guy operates
1: i would assume that he's like some crazy germaphobe or something and just be like okay i guess i'll just wait from here then hopefully that's cool
2: so i presume we're trying not to spoil the end of the movie before the end of the
1: movie well I, we've already mentioned in our previous episode that this involves time travel and you did guess here yeah immediately that that would be old martin sheen in the car
2: that it, that was my initial guess yes
1: yeah um, i wish that it was <laughs> spoiler alert but i wish that it was because i would be curious to see how closely they got the makeup but that's not that's not who's in this car lasky takes the chopper over the arizona memorial to the deck of the uss nimitz the actual ship utilized by the crew playing itself it was docked for all the interior filming and out to sea for the brief above deck footage a narrator voice at the arizona memorial describes the fate of the ship and the attack on pearl harbor They also spot a Russian trawler, presumably fishing for red herrings. (laughs) Upon landing, Lasky is (laughs) escorted to the bridge. The first thing you notice watching this film is that these are all real jets, and all the flight photography is done practically with cameras on board all the jets. Mm -hmm. It lends the film a lot of production value. We see Commander Owens land a jet on the deck, and we learn through conversation that Lasky is an efficiency expert with the Defense Department, sent aboard to iron out any redundancies that he can help identify. As Owens comes inside the ship, he comments to his co-pilot on the rapidly worsening weather.
3: I almost now wonder, knowing the end of the movie is, if Tyman hand selected him. That is, this, yeah, we need to make sure. I need to make sure that this guy is on this ship. I don't know
1: why, but we'll we'll come to that.
2: Yeah, there's so much I want to talk about at the end
1: yeah uh <laughs> in the bridge Lasky and Captain Yelland are introduced Yelland gripes about his ship being tied up for two days awaiting Lasky's arrival on orders from Mr. Tideman based on what we'll learn over the course of the film there's no excuse for Lasky not being exactly on time Yelland's second in command reminds him that Tideman designed and built this ship
2: well hold on I think there is sort of an excuse for him delaying the ship because I think it needs to be in the right place at the right time, which is December We'll get to this at the end. I disagree. Fine.
1: Fine. Yellen's second-in-command reminds him that Tideman designed and built this ship and that the least they could do was oblige his request to wait a couple days. As the last few jets return to the ship, lightning is flashing all around despite sunny weather reports. They're getting strange readings on their instruments, alternating back and forth between the storm that we see and a perfectly clear sky lasky is shown to his room which is spacious for a ship and neighbors that of commander owens whose quarters lasky rudely barges into
3: and starts going through his shit
1: yeah he's like fascinated by this collection of photographs and paperwork relating to the attacks on pearl harbor that just litter owens desk but he just fucking sits down at the desk and starts reading a manuscript that owens was working on of course owens catches him and Lasky doesn't really apologize as much as he just says, oh, forgive me. And instead of expressing any regret or remorse, he tells Owens what a great manuscript he's written and then tells him who he is and why he's aboard. Owens is part of the Carrier Air Group and as such, his helmet reads CAG and he is referred to as such on the bridge. So when he enters, someone on the bridge says, boss, CAG's here. Boss CAG's here. But it sounds exactly like Boz Skaggs here. (laughs) (laughs) A meteorologist marches into the bridge, and despite his name tag saying John Arthur or something like that, he's being referred to as Black Cloud by everyone because of his Native American descent. Yellen blames him for the weather.
0: Ah, Black Cloud, you've been doing unauthorized rain dances again, huh?
1: As Black Cloud describes the alternating nature of the readings, we see a portal open up at sea level ahead of the ship. The visual effects for this film were saved for last... And as a result of having gone so far over budget needed to be finished on the cheap, Maurice Binder or Binder was brought in and basically worked by compositing colored conical lasers Mm -hmm. in smoke over the footage of the ship at sea or in some cases a clear miniature of the ship. And that's basically all there is to this effect. Yeah. uh It looks pretty cheap.
3: It looks pretty cheap for someone who's like a master of the of the uh, visual effect. Yeah,
1: Uh, Maurice Binder, if you're not familiar, is the guy who does all the opening title sequences for the James Bond movies, or did up to a point.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, but those aren't like those aren't supposed to be realistic looking effects, like right. But they don't look
1: cheap. They don't look like toy models all over.
2: No, but they're they're graphical in nature in in terms of how he's compositing and overlaying all of his shots. They aren't. I wouldn't call those visual effects. I call that compositing.
1: Well, they called it visual effects here.
2: Well, this was supposed to be a visual effect.
1: But it's just lasers. But it's
2: compositing. Yeah. Lasers.
1: <laughs> the last jet returning to deck is getting an unsafe hook indicator, meaning that they'll have to rig a barricade in place of the usual cable. The men assemble it very quickly in the worsening storm and clear the deck. But before the last jet can even touch down, the USS Nimitz is swallowed whole by this glowing portal effect, and everyone on the ship collapses to their knees in pain at its loud ringing. Glasses shattering, instrument panels are erupting in sparks, Kirk is going apeshit on the bridge. (laughs) Uh, But then it's suddenly over. A clear day, and everyone just recovers immediately. Uh, the last jet, presumably having also passed through the portal, appears and touches down on the deck, and is wrapped safely in the barricade. But the pilot is unconscious when they yeah, get yeah. The, I was like, like it, "Who landed this plane?" I
3: was like, "Is he dead?" Because Owens looks over his body and is like very distraught. Yeah. And they take the body away, but he's still like looking deadpan at the ground. It's and like, we
1: never look at we never see this guy again for yeah. the rest of the movie. We don't even mention him. I don't know if he's unconscious because he pulled so many G's stopping or if it's from the effects of the portal. Yeah. Uh,
3: my, my, so I watched this with my father, and uh, when this whole sequence was going on, the portal sequence, he's like, this movie
1: could have done without this. That would have been great if this was just about them going out to sea for a couple of days and came back. There was no portal or time travel involved.
3: <laughs> no, I think I think it was more so just like this effect and everyone yeah. like – like star trek style like yeah (laughs) i'm being affected by some kind of beam
1: is this good director a crew member calls up to the bridge from the radio room to announce that they're having communications issues they can't send or receive signals except for some old obsolete radio frequencies the crew member announcing the problem is associate producer lloyd kaufman Yellen checks with the radar crew and the map is blank even the russian trawler is gone yelland orders owens to have a crusader do a photo run over pearl harbor unclear why he would request this unless he had a sneaking suspicion that they were suddenly transported back in time almost 40 years well
3: they he he has a suspicion that there was an attack yeah and and i think he maybe he thinks that the the portal travel noise light thing was some kind of result of a
1: like a radiation from
3: like yeah some kind of new atomic bomb or maybe even a like a golden eye type atmospheric detonation
1: Hmm. we're getting occasional hints that the crew is getting restless in the absence of a solid explanation for these disturbances yellen speaks to all the senior officers and admits that he has no idea what's going on but he won't rule out the possibility of war and specifically a nuclear attack that would explain why their communications are going unrecognized it's weird to think that 1980 to 1941 is less of a time jump Than from now to when this movie premiered they put on the radio during this meeting and they're picking up old jack benny episodes in response to the mission they set about arming all the jets never clearly explaining to the crew why they're loading all these jets with with armaments a few jets take off on a recon mission and we cut to senator chapman pouring drinks on the back of his yacht the gatsby they are listening to a radio address from president fdr And chapman is upset that fdr is asking america to trust our enemies because he doesn't trust japan and he thinks they're going to attack and he's been asking for troops to back him up in in the pearl harbor region because he thinks that's that would be a point of attack his more than secretary but less than lover laurel arrives with the part of a speech that will propose chapman be awarded a place in roosevelt's cabinet with a long-term plan of a shot at the VP nomination for FDR's next, and as we know, last term as president. Chapman follows her back into the yacht alone to congratulate her on a great speech, and she asks if he told the other man on board that they were sleeping together. At first, this makes it sound like they are, until he answers weirdly, I wish I was, (laughs) which is like, okay, that's too forward. That's strange.
3: Also, you're married.
1: Yeah, which I think is just a ham-fisted way of letting us know that they are not, in fact, sleeping together. Uh, suddenly laurel's dog charlie starts barking just before two jets scream overhead inappropriately low over the yacht Uh, despite their speed chapman is somehow able to identify u.s markings but not the model of the jet Uh, we get a quick mid-air refueling sequence i think just because they got footage of it
3: yeah i think a lot of this was what can we show yeah like what what can you guys do for us navy it's like we can refuel midair okay let's do that cool we can we can land a plane in the nets on the thing that's (laughs) that's a really
1: expensive thing to do and apparently uh, and again i couldn't corroborate this elsewhere but that was not planned they were actually having oh really difficulties with the tow cable and they were like we're gonna have this guy come in and hit a barricade do you want to get some footage and then they wrote dialogue around it so that they could show it in the movie makes sense but this is just
2: That, that makes sense but like the refueling thing to me it was completely unnecessary and if yeah. you're over budget let's just cut some of these shots they were they
1: were over budget after all the aerial photography
2: oh okay i wouldn't have started with that yeah <laughs> I it agree. looks great
1: though it I does mean, the, everything all, looks all the amazing footage
3: looks really amazing. oh yeah.
2: yeah 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 for sure i mean i was i was totally into the movie because this looked so incredibly authentic and and i loved i mean aside from the t- time portal because yeah. everybody knows time portals don't look like that yeah Everything else well, is now great. we do.
1: In 1980, they didn't know what time portals looked like.
3: Yeah. Now, now we know that they open up in a perfect square around a phone booth. Yeah. And the phone <laughs> booth just goes into it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we learned that in the early 90s. Um, but uh, yeah, I I feel like if you gave me all the ingredients to this movie and you said, we have two options: we could make a documentary about the USS Nimitz, and we could have Kirk Douglas narrate it and Martin Sheen give like a tour. Or we could make a time travel movie. I also would have chosen poorly and made a shitty time travel movie. (laughs) But what they should have done is just made a documentary about how this.
2: No, no, no. Honestly, I was totally 100% in with the premise of this movie Mm -hmm. and how it was going and how it was being shot. They just about mid-movie gave up they took a wrong turn there were so many cool options it's a time travel movie you have so many cool options and they took the least interesting path
1: yeah they took the path less traveled by and that has made all the difference
2: (laughs) they took the path of least budget
1: yeah but while going ridiculously over budget (laughs) (laughs) a crew member from the bridge heads below deck to speak with some of the men outside the inner circle about how worried they seem on the bridge The man bears a striking resemblance to Kirk Douglas, and his shirt identifies him as Douglas, and he is played by producer and Kirk kid Peter Douglas. He tries to convince fellow crewmen that we are officially at war, but it's not official until it's declared, I think. Yellen shows Lasky the picture that the Crusader took of Pearl Harbor, and Lasky tells him to get Owens to bring some photos from his room to compare. I'm guessing that this Crusader had... 40 year old camera on board yeah because it's this grainy shitty black and white picture of pearl harbor from above and it's like what why isn't this in color why doesn't this look nicer but not only is it the same quality of the picture that owens brings up it's literally the same photograph yeah meaning it was taken from the same angle somehow in 1940 well i or 41
3: it was my assumption that this photograph somehow was still in the possession of
2: that is exactly what I thought of, I of a character. That this, but, that this becomes that photograph that is in his. So collection they just of
1: had a, an old camera on that jet, and he smuggled that photo off the ship, but just that photo.
3: Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. That's the only way to explain it. Yeah. Because they make such a point of saying it's the same photograph. Yeah.
1: It's weird that historians weren't like, "That's weird." What would have taken this picture from this angle that day? Like, we didn't have any planes in the air. That's strange. But, yeah, so that happened. The recon jets radio back that they've spotted two Japanese Zeros in pristine condition. Somehow, the Japanese planes have not seen them, but I'm pretty sure that these jets can't even fly slow enough not to just blow past the Japanese planes.
3: I asked my father the same question. Um, not that he is a expert but he was in the navy (laughs) yeah um he says that these planes do have to land on runways and you know they can't they can't land going 500 miles an hour and he said when the wings are in that configuration the tomcats especially when they're in the the wider configuration that's when they're flying slower okay and when they're swept back is when they're flying much faster
1: okay yelland lasky owens and Thurman, who is Yellen's second-in-command on the bridge, all debate who could possibly be staging this reenactment, and Lasky is the first to just accept that they've traveled back in time 40 (laughs) years, Uh, even though nothing besides the storm so far has been entirely inexplicable. And he says, But all of us know that movement through time is possible. Einstein proved it. I'm not sure that ever did happen. Yeah. I mean, yes, movement
3: through time is possible. We are forward. Literally, we're doing it right now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, even if he did suggest it, he definitely never proved it. I feel like that would be a bigger headline if it was like, Einstein proves time travel possible. <laughs> oh, great. That's wonderful. If he did prove it, then we should go ask him if he ever proved it. Back on the Senator's yacht, they hear a new set of incoming planes, but Chapman can hear the difference. This is the two Japanese Zeros passing low over the yacht, and then they come back to strafe it in the water, killing everyone aboard except for Chapman, Laurel, her dog, and a fourth guy, Bobby, who doesn't know how to swim, and as a result can't take off his life jacket to dive when they circle back and start firing on them again. A couple jets from the Nimitz scare off the Zeros so that they'll stop shooting at the Senator in the water, but they're not allowed to fight. They're they're not allowed to fire on these planes. They're just allowed to engage, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. They do a lot of fancy flying here. One of the tricks involves a jet sweeping up in front of one of the zeros, which on set nearly caused this plane to crash.
3: Well, yeah, because those jets put out a lot of wake yeah. turbulence, and when you see those two zeros kind of go whoa, whoa like they're yeah. waving all around. I mean, I'm sure that that's yeah, one result. one of those
1: planes almost crashed because of that stunt. And then the other crazy stunt here was probably because the pilot was excited by cameras and did a full dive to just about 100 feet above the water before yeah. yanking it back up into the sky.
3: That I was also very surprised to yeah. see.
1: It looks, and was, extremely dangerous. The Zeros start firing on the jets, and Yellen finally gives them permission to splash the Zeros. But it looks like one crashes without anything from the jets. Like, it just starts smoking and collapses. Well,
3: um, you can hear that the engine of the one of the Zeros is revving up higher and higher because I think he's trying to evade or speed up to oh, okay. outrun this plane and I think he just burns out his engine trying to outrun it.
1: But the other one they literally shoot out of the sky. Yeah, A helicopter is sent out to collect the civilian and enemy survivors in the water. As they're unloading the Japanese survivor onto the deck, unless I misheard him, Yelland calls the pilot a bastard? Yeah,
3: that is correct.
1: (laughs) Bastard. Which, as far as I know, has never been a term for Japanese people. A lot of the bridge crew try to talk to Yelland about Well, (laughs)
3: because here's the thing, too. It's a Korean actor yeah Uh (laughs) and i was like
1: "Ooh, yeah that's really (laughs) uncomfortable um i I just don't know like why they even had to have that line in there just cut that one line if there's something about the 80s where you had to imply that all the old men were just terrible racists for no reason
3: i mean because i guess you could argue that he made that racist joke about black cloud yeah Um, but you also
1: like maybe there's like a certain you know, th- this movie is for people that that approve yeah, yeah. of the military. And so there has to be these little lines like for th- those people in the audience to go, yeah. Yeah. Like that was definitely like a, a moment that you had to be in theater f- to appreciate properly. A lot of people on the bridge crew try to talk to Yelland about attacking the Japanese fleet. But as he points out, the Japanese haven't attacked the mainland yet. So there's not a war yet. They would be starting a war with Japan if he did that. But he does admit that it's the Navy's job to defend America, and then from there to take orders from the commander-in-chief, who, Lasky reminds him, is now Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he looks very displeased. (laughs) (laughs) An interpreter sits with the Japanese pilot, and Senator Chapman is the co-chairman of the Senate Defense Committee and demands to see the captain at once. As much as it feels like he isn't the authority because he's from the 40s and he doesn't know what's going on, he is the official authority here in this time period.
3: Yeah, he is the senator. Like, a senator is it's a high-ranking position yeah and military serves
1: but they're treating him like oh he doesn't know what he's talking about yeah he doesn't understand our ship and it's like that doesn't matter though (laughs) he's a senator he's a state senator
2: well and not just a state senator but head of the defense committee
1: yeah back in his cabin lasky feels like intruding on owens quarters again and just wanders in and grabs a handful of papers off his desk owens realizes quickly that they're missing and finds lasky reading a passage written by owens out loud and it tells the story of Senator Chapman's historical disappearance, likely at the hands of these Japanese scouting planes, and explains that had he survived, he would likely have gone on to be FDR's vice president for his last term, inheriting the presidency upon Roosevelt's death. This senator's not based on a real person. Correct. It's fictional made up for the movie. Lasky acts like this is a big gotcha that Owens has heard of Chapman, but I don't feel like it is.
3: It means nothing. Yeah.
1: Lasky is led to speak with Chapman but as they're opening the door, the dog gets out of the room and distracts everyone while the Japanese prisoner, who isn't restrained in any way, grabs an automatic weapon from a nearby sailor and kills two of the crewmen right there. The POW starts to make demands in Japanese, and so they move to get the translator on the phone as quickly as they can.
2: I don't know why the translator wasn't just there the whole time. As long as you have the prisoner in custody, keep the translator near him.
1: Yeah. After some disagreements... The POW gets his hands on a gun and holds it to Laurel's head, demanding to speak with his fleet. Lasky suggests just telling the soldier the truth about what's going on. Owens, being the expert on the history of the attack on Pearl Harbor, is able to recite from memory the names of all the fleets that Japan sent to America. He knows all their code words, he knows everything, and the POW is completely dumbfounded by this. Another crew member takes this opportunity to shoot at the Japanese soldier, who returns fire and kills a third crewman before just getting shot to pieces on the floor. Chapman is finally brought to the captain and asks if he's informed Pearl Harbor Command. He says, no, I haven't. And he's like, well, why the hell not? <laughs> Chapman is granted access to the radio room to call himself, but the non-existent USS Nimitz and Captain Yelland caused them to laugh off the warning and recommend that they not try to prank the US military mm-hmm. because it's a felony.
2: So I feel like, obviously, his approach of having the guy who has no idea what's going on be the one to call and try to warn them obviously wasn't going to work. But why did he not just try to relay the danger in some other way across the radio? Like, even if you didn't identify yourself as as a ship that doesn't exist or a crew that doesn't exist, just say, hey, there is a bunch of ships in these coordinates and leave it at that. And then they would just be like, well, this could be a a trick or it could be a scam or it could be real. Let's just go send some scouts out and find out.
3: Yeah. Like, he could even have said, this is Senator Chapman. My pleasure craft, which is Was regist- just attacked by two Japanese Yeah, planes. which is registered Honolulu. It says it on the boat. Yeah. And I'm sure they would know... I'm sure the military knows that a senator is in the area. Yeah. Um, He could say, we just saw two Japanese zeros get, you know... You do not have to say you just say they got shot down or they shot at them He could say they blew up my they yacht up my
2: which yacht they, did yacht they did. And the I'm whole. borrowing a radio. Yeah. Go check this out. We saw we saw a crew at X Coordinates yeah. you know, coming this that's, way from Japan.
1: That's literally the reason the plane circled back and blew up the yacht was because he saw the planes and would radio right. back to right. Pearl Harbor. But uh Chapman asks what Lasky's doing here. And for the first time I'm wondering the same thing plot wise. <laughs> uh, his character has not been super necessary thus far and will not become more necessary as we move forward i wonder if he was just added for a potential michael douglas role and then when that suddenly fell apart martin sheen just got thrown in at the last second because people couldn't tell the difference between the two of them he introduces himself as an employee of the department of defense uh navy department (laughs) because at the time what is now the defense department was separated into the war department and navy department they spent because they didn't have a defense department it was the department of war And then the Navy was added on to it later. So there was the Department of Navy, and then they were like, well, these are both kind of war. Let's call it the Department of Defense.
2: Yeah, I was just saying, like, I don't understand the distinction between the Navy and war.
1: Well, the Navy was not as much the offensive at the time. It was a defensive. Okay,
2: so they were basically stripping out offense and defense but right. then they realized okay we should Then they were like let's just pretend really everything's defense. Offense.
1: <laughs> yeah, the best defense is a good navy.
2: The best uh offense is one that we pretend is only defense.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I don't believe that there was even an air force. There was the Army Air Corps. Yeah. and the navy had planes, but there was no air force official.
1: And now the air force is called the Department of Health and Human Services. No, that's not true.
3: No, we
2: have Space Force.
1: Space oh, Force. Space
3: force from never what <laughs> what
1: space force 10 yeah there you go you got it <laughs> <laughs> they spend so much time trying to needlessly confuse the senator that he gets very paranoid around them owens goes in and flirts with laurel a lot in the isolation room she describes her work for the senator and he compliments her abilities and gives her credit for what she's accomplished in a time when women were even more sidelined by society than they were in the 80s the senator demands that yellen fly him and laurel to pearl harbor and Yellen agrees with this uh, request. Lasky warns him of the ramifications, and Yellen says he doesn't need a couple of angry civilians on board when he's about to do battle. And Lasky reminds him that he has three civilians on board, and Yellen says, fine, you can go with them. And Yellen tells Owen to drop them off on some deserted island nearby with supplies, somewhere they can't screw things up for a few days. Uh, they
3: can take the professor and Mary Ann. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Lasky tells Owens that he's gonna take up Yellen's offer and head to Pearl Harbor, but intuits somehow that Owens will not be taking them there and changes his mind. The captain addresses the ship and says, "'Don't worry, it's not a war. "'Your families are safe. "'We just went back in time 40 years.'" And everyone's like, well, that's a relief. When in reality, they would assume this is a weird military exercise and for sure would not be pulling the trigger on any planes that they saw. Right. All the planes are loaded up with their maximum firepower capacity. Owens heads out with the chopper But the fatal flaw in this plan is that the senator is not an idiot. And you (laughs) can tell the difference between Pearl Harbor and a deserted island. As they're being dumped on the island, Chapman steals what I thought was a flare gun, but it turns out is actually a suicide bomb gun.
3: Yeah. and
1: (laughs) And knocks another soldier unconscious. He demands that they take the chopper to Pearl Harbor after they've already dropped off Laurel on this island. And Owens is down there with her. So he's hijacked this helicopter And as it's pulling away, Owens realizes what's going on, and he's getting left. And he tries to jump into it, but he's just hanging from this helicopter for a while before he falls into the ocean. It's like
2: when time ran out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty terrifying.
3: But that person apparently died somehow. Yeah.
1: (laughs) The unconscious man comes to and attacks Chapman from behind, setting off the suicide bomb gun and obliterating the chopper it's just supposed to be a flare gun but for some reason the second it goes off the entire helicopter is a fireball which seems super dangerous if you're yeah if you can take down an entire military helicopter with a flare gun
3: and i really don't think senator chapman would go through with his threat if you don't take me to poor harbor i'm gonna kill us all
1: no i think i think that it got fired on accident
3: no 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 but he, uh, the pilot says, if you fire that in here, you'll kill us all. he's like, well, then you better take me there. Yeah. It's like, no, you're, uh, like, you're not going to do that. I would just turn off the helicopter. Yeah. Like just turn it off and then you fly it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: we're going to float right here in the sky until you put that gun away. That's how helicopters work, right?
3: Well, they were still on the ground when he oh. pulls the gun on him.
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah. Unless you know how to fly this thing.
3: Yeah. Cause he doesn't even know what it is. Yeah. He doesn't know what a helicopter is because helicopters don't exist yet.
1: The people at the—is that true? Do helicopters not exist?
3: I don't think they existed. I, Hold on. I think that they existed. That is a Googleable
2: fact. Hold on.
1: Or am I thinking of gyrocopters? Gyrocopters
3: did
2: exist. 1939. World's pr- first practical helicopter.
1: I want to know when the first impractical helicopter was. <laughs> <laughs> Are you googling that? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay um
2: but google did understand when i started to write world war ii helicopters and it gave me a list of helicopters from world war ii
1: but nowhere near what this one was probably
2: no no no, not at all
1: they look more like uh, the magnum helicopter where it's just a bubble
2: it it looks like a pile of sticks with rotors on it yeah it's It's like (laughs) the mash
1: helicopters (laughs) Yeah.
3: yeah yeah but helicopters like this certainly
1: did not exist yeah which is why the whole time that they're in isolation on the nimitz he's like what the hell was that thing that picked us up out of the water like how did that work but in the radar room someone's pointing out hey so the chopper with with all our guys on it that's gone that disappeared and yellen's like ah well we don't have time to look into it we have to win the battle of pearl harbor now so he loads up all the jets and they send them out to attack the japanese fleet back on the island laurel's already starving and cracks open an mre and notices that it was inspected in July of 1979. She turns to Owens for an explanation just as a swarm of Japanese planes fly overhead. The radar room sees that the time storm is striking again, and Yelland instructs the crew to evade the storm, but it's no use. It's following them and moving faster than the ship can move, so he calls all the jets back.
3: This is like some quantum leap stuff. Yeah. like It's just like you can't fight this fate of time travel.
1: Yeah, it's weird. But uh, they're within sight of these Japanese ships that they were going to attack, but the pilots all agree to abort this mission and lose the Battle of Pearl Harbor again. I feel like at least one of these guys would have been like, nope, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never got to meet my grandpa. I'm going to go save his life right now. But, and that plane just, whoosh, just vanishes <laughs> yeah. from
3: there. I was like, oh, what?
1: <laughs> I guess uh, I'm going to turn around. <laughs> Why did the whole plane disappear? Why wasn't it just a different guy in there? <laughs> <laughs> that's strange um <laughs> well it turns
3: out his grandfather was like <laughs> he, did,
1: he, he paid for that one helicopter he's like you're gonna put my son <laughs> on your ship if i have to buy the goddamn chopper he's oh, flying no. or it's the just, jet
3: like, I, I just want to see like all of them are just flying or just falling out of the air all of a sudden yeah. because his grandfather sued the guy who tried to invent the jet and just like <laughs> no i'm patenting it you can't patent it Jets for another don't time.
1: exist now <laughs> We get some black and white footage from Tora Tora Torah as well as just stock footage from the actual Pearl Harbor attack. And the ship is shaken again is it by the- Is stock footage? Some of it is.
2: Maybe news footage perhaps?
1: Uh, so Maybe. It, it
3: seems weird to say call it stock footage of, a, of of an
1: attack. You know what? We're getting attacked and murdered. <laughs> uh, we should get some footage of Let's this. It's a roll Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what they called it on IMDb. So I'm calling it stock footage. he just like puts like weird music over it like if you want you can get footage of american soldiers exploding the ship is shaken again by the piercing shrieks of the time storm and on the other side the jets appear missing again after a moment the music swells as all the jets reappear and land safely on the ship after they've docked yelland is reprimanded for getting lost at sea in an aircraft carrier lasky has taken custody of charlie the dog now and moves to collect owen's manuscript from the ship before just changing his mind and putting it back and leaving the ship empty-handed lasky disembarks as mr tideman pulls up and charlie jumps into the car before lasky can get to
3: it Well, there's a scene before this oh okay uh, sorry uh where lasky and the captain part ways and it's like wait a minute the captain's meeting is done already where like seven, at least seven people are dead. Yeah, and they have a corpse of a
1: Japanese soldier in their That's medical true.
3: bay. Yeah. Um,
2: and there's a helicopter missing. A
1: helicopter. I want to. I want to hear the coroner be like, "Time of death, forty years ago." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how did you determine that? Uh, there, there, there
3: was like, there's gonna be some kind of inquiry. There's loss of life. Like for sure,
1: they dump that guy overboard, though, right?
3: I don't think so. Oh, I mean, by time laws, they should have. Mm-hmm. But-,
1: <laughs> but yeah, Charlie jumps into this car when Lasky gets down to the car and looks inside. He sees the elderly Laurel and Commander Owens, and they invite him into the car is there as there is much to discuss.
3: Yeah, it's I thought like, they were going to l- kill him.
2: No, no, no. <laughs> there is literally nothing to there, discuss there, here.
1: I have no idea what they have to discuss.
2: There's nothing to talk
1: about. So. Now we can get into some of the problems. This is the end of the film. We, yeah. we end it with their car driving off the pier <laughs> into, the, <laughs> into ocean. the ocean. Through the time uh, portal. We don't actually see that happen because this is not a Michael Douglas movie, so, specifically the game. This is a different person.
3: So Owens is a war profiteer because he made money <laughs> off of knowing the future yes. and the state of the economy. How did he, he know war the II? future?
1: Because, because
3: he lived he, through it. He lived through it and he's a World
1: War II expert. I need to know when this loop starts. The implication is that this is a closed loop, mm-hmm. yeah. that they didn't screw up. What was the first pass? How did the first pass start?
3: The first pass was uh, a Japanese fleet was approaching Pearl Harbor, and an aircraft
1: carrier appeared, and then disappeared.
2: I mean, if it's a closed loop, there is no start and finish to it. It
3: Correct. is just a closed loop. It's a
1: loop. But you, you're, it's the grandfather paradox, right? Where if I go back and kill my grandfather, then I can't have existed. Right, but they don't interfere. They didn't
2: change whatever whatever had happened happened so in in the original pearl harbor attack two japanese planes apparently got shot out of the air after attacking a senator's boat okay and a uh, aircraft carrier randomly appears and disappears
1: right but the loop relies on the on owens having been delayed two days by himself correct To even go into the portal in the first place. Yes. Right. So if Elderly Owens didn't exist, if the time travel hadn't happened, Mm -hmm. then Owens would have left two days earlier, would have missed the time portal completely. That should have been the first pass. He should have left two days later and missed the portal.
3: But Elderly Owens wouldn't exist if it's the first pass.
1: That's what I'm saying. If Elderly Owens didn't exist, there's no way they would have even gone through the time portal.
3: But he does exist... But he only so, exists
1: because he exists. Yeah. That doesn't make sense.
3: Because we're, we're already in the loop. You, you're, you're trying to start the loop, find a point in which this loop starts, but it's already, hap- it's already started.
1: Right. But that it, the fact that the loop requires other ingredients of the loop to exist makes it impossible. You can have a loop that gets caused by a branch happens, and then it causes a loop. Mm-hmm. But there's no way to get from this line to that loop. Because this line goes past that loop. Without the interference of the loop, no one would have been there when the time portal appeared. Here's what should have happened. Don't say we left two days later than we were supposed to. Because there's no reason to say that except for to make this time loop impossible to reach. What is the purpose of saying he made us wait two days?
2: But in, in, in your straight line that doesn't depart into a loop, it could have been delayed for some other reason. Some other reason
1: i guess but why introduce that complication okay
2: my problem is that you got my hopes up about a movie about an aircraft carrier going back in time to stop pearl harbor and
3: they didn't do anything
1: yeah (laughs) they couldn't do anything
3: they literally didn't do anything
1: they they could have they just didn't
3: well but that's 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 the law of of time
1: travel einstein proved it (laughs) no
3: because because had they done something it would have changed everything. No,
1: had they done anything, it would have cost too much. Yeah. But <laughs> Harry Turtledove does these amazing alternate history books that do these amazing stories where it's like what if, you know, somebody dropped a bunch of like automatic weapons in the south before the Civil War or what if aliens attacked in the middle of World War II and you and you develop all these stories, but this movie's like what if this crazy thing happened, but it didn't it didn't happen, but what if it did.
3: But but this is like a Star Trek episode where everything has to go back to normal at the end right. of the day. Right, that has so, to happen
1: on a TV show.
2: That's so much less interesting.
3: I, I loved it. <laughs> I, I'm perfectly fine with it.
1: No, in but, a movie, you don't have to go back to normal. Y- the world can change yeah, in a movie. Yeah, it
3: can change if you're disobeying the laws of time travel, which this movie- You're, yeah, you're our, assuming how time
1: travel works. There
2: are no official laws to time travel. There are-,
3: are the, A movie can establish time travel rules and has to obey those rules well
1: this one didn't because it introduces a loop that is caused by nothing
3: (laughs) but that's why the storm was chasing them
1: how come it chases some of them and not all of them
3: what do you mean not all of them
1: owens is left behind why does it leave owens behind because he already
3: was left behind
2: why did we have to have an aircraft carrier go back in time at all
1: yeah why did why did tideman design this aircraft carrier
3: (laughs) to go back in time
1: he designed this ship himself. Mm-hmm. He designed and manufactured this ship himself. Yeah. But he he didn't even exist. <laughs> yeah. He designed this <laughs> ship before he existed. And then he was born. And then he got on the ship.
3: But he traveled back in time to a time where he was already born.
1: But the, the, we agree <laughs> he that... He could go they, visit
3: himself as a child.
1: We agree. Well, he can't probably if if he touches himself he's gonna get you know <laughs> silver all clouded up together but my point is this is not a man-made time travel scenario correct this is a naturally occurring time travel yeah storm.
3: and 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 because of that it, it has to correct ta- the, the the laws of time travel have to correct themselves
1: if you're gonna have a time travel storm that sends people back to december 6th of 1941 <laughs> it has to be man-made It can't just be a, oh, that's just where it spits them out. Because that doesn't, like, that's too significant of a place and time for it to have just been like, oh, just by coincidence, it's the day before Pearl Harbor, a date which will live in infamy.
3: Yeah. It was a coincidence.
1: Yeah. Just a weird coincidence. It's a weird coincidence. No, it shouldn't have been a coincidence. The point should have been that this ship was designed to travel back in time
3: i I agree that should have been the point but that wasn't
1: the point (laughs) the point was that it's just a bizarre coincidence and also this could never have happened because it required the person who we left behind to have been left behind over and over in infinity correct which is not possible right but it did it happened it didn't happen
3: (laughs) you watched it happen
1: this is not a documentary richard (laughs) it did not happen it's
3: happening in real time (laughs)
1: I, I like this movie less now that we've discussed it. <laughs> because it is a paradox that...
3: I agree. It is It is a paradox.
1: But they could have cleared it up by just not saying the two days thing. They could have just been like, oh, okay. You're here. We're ready to go. And then it's like, that ship always hit the time portal. That guy always got sent back in time. And then he sent that guy because he really wanted his dog back. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he sent Martin Sheen, mm-hmm. But that's the other thing martin sheen's character is pointless oh i agree he does nothing he, he, there's he, no reason it couldn't have just been owens the whole time
3: i i think the only reason he is there is because they need for for the story right is that they need someone who doesn't follow orders to counter or to speak up against the captain but it never serves
1: a purpose that no he it never up.
3: it never serves a purpose and and he no this isn't his field if they if they brought a physicist on board or a nuclear engineer yeah if this was like ian malcolm explaining how things work yeah exactly but no he's he's an efficiency expert
1: he's not a chaotician
3: the only thing the reason he was there is that he was hand selected by tideman because tideman knew that he had to be there
1: but he didn't yeah (laughs) if he wasn't there if he wasn't on the ship everything would have happened exactly as it did
2: yeah story-wise i think it would have been fine except you would have had to have owens make the revelations to just be like look all this stuff is too familiar to me mm. as a science we-
1: fiction writer in my spare time like just make the <laughs> manuscript be an alternate history story that he's been writing and this is his chance to act it out but then he shows some restraint and he doesn't like move forward with the attack on the ships it's like if that's the way you're going to do it but the whether or not martin sheen gets sent back in time has no bearing on the rest of the story but they make it seem like he's an integral part of the time loop when he's not.
2: Oh, I agree. I wish that they had had Kirk Douglas sort of make a realization, like like it, he like he had a moral obligation to leave time the way it was, you know, like that would it, have
3: been the Star Trekky thing,
2: right? To to give him that moment to say like, look, or or it would have been our our Thanos moment when Iron Man is just like, look, I can't lose my daughter over this whole thing. Uh We need the last 40 years to have happened just the way it happened so you know morally i can't change time
1: yeah but that's not what they did no that's not what they, they screwed did. screwed it up they accidentally messed up the possibility of their story ever having taken place
2: but they spent so much money and it looked so good and it had such a great premise and, then,
3: and those visual and effects then, were amazing uh, <laughs> the,
1: the visual effects weren't great and there's i could have cut probably 37 minutes out of this Mm. Uh, because there's and just a lot of footage back at of planes, the end
2: and having it be a great war scene, like, yeah. yeah.
1: And and there was the like, only
2: time I wanted more war
3: in a movie. <laughs> yeah, there was a potential <laughs> mutiny where the sailors were getting upset about yeah. misinformation. And then they just dropped it. And then like the one, his XO was like, "No, we need to attack them. We need to attack those guys."
1: Yeah, this is officially war now.
3: Yeah. And uh, and so it's like, oh man, there's a lot of like
1: unlevel heads here. And he's like, "Good news, guys, it's not a war." We went back in time, and they're like, oh, okay, I guess. Let's go kill the Japanese then. Which they couldn't because they didn't.
3: They could have. <laughs> they they could chose have. not to. They, ch- they chose you're not to. You're denying
1: them free will. They could have.
3: No, I, but I am completely. I, Pat, you you have gotten it. I am completely denying them free will.
1: Yes. But you don't, you're don't. you saying the time travel works differently in this movie than it does in Back to the Future. Correct. Okay.
3: Because in Back to the Future, Marge. We don't sh- get
1: any proof of that.
3: No, but in Back to the Future, the time travel rules are different because Marty should have a completely different set of memories when he arrives back into the later 1985 of living a completely different life with not a different Not based family. on the rules of that movie. Correct. Not based on the rules of that movie. But in a real time travel story, he would have, like, Frequency. In Frequency, when he changes something in the past, he gets all the memories, and now he's got two sets of memories in his head.
1: Yeah. But in this movie, nothing supernatural prevents them from changing the timeline. Correct. This movie's stupid. I don't like it now. I was okay <laughs> with it before. I don't like it now. So it's it down? Yeah, it's a down for me now. Yeah, I would have said up like 30 minutes ago. Where's it going on your list, Jess? Or up or down?
2: I'm still going to give it an up. I mean, I really liked the first two-thirds of this movie. I'm just really disappointed with how they chose to end it because I think they could have done a dozen different things that would have been more interesting than doing nothing and, I, and and they made them they made the whole movie pointless and that makes me sad i don't
1: think they could have done anything to make it less interesting than the path that they chose
2: yeah that's what i'm saying i'm like it it could have been so it, it could have been so great there could have been so many different endings that they could have chose and they chose the one that was boring
1: yeah it's like if you said let's make a movie what happens if you send a supercomputer back to 1950 but it's in a room where nobody sees it and then it just goes back to the present mm-hmm. a couple hours later it's like well i know what happens nothing and that's what happened in this movie nothing happened in this movie
2: yeah well i still give it an up because i i enjoyed two-thirds of it I enjoyed
3: the the investigation is the best part like where yeah, they're trying to figure out figuring what's going the whole on thing
2: out but you know honestly that could have even been cut down to in favor of like let's blow some old planes up with some new planes this would have been great
1: i i feel like even in the investigation stuff they flub because there's no part of what they're doing that proves that it's 1941 like that's what's so frustrating it's like everything they do they're just like okay those could those ships still exist they could have been there those planes still exist. They well, well they took
3: there. photos of Pearl Harbor with the battleships all still intact. Right, you
1: took a photo of the wrong area.
3: <laughs> I, I think it could have been an interesting idea to have them engage the Japanese, but but lose. Well, not not but not but lose. Although that could have been interesting too. Like I said, see, so
2: many more interesting um, options.
3: <laughs> but but where they try to prevent the Japanese attack, but instead have to help the Japanese with the attack
1: yeah i definitely feel like when he brings back the pictures too and he's like look here's the pictures that i took and they'd be like that's weird it's exactly the same as 1940s pictures i wouldn't have been like that's weird i would have been like oh either you're bullshitting me Mm -hmm. or this camera was rigged with film that was like recreated from this old photograph right because obviously you didn't take this picture 40 years ago with a 40 year old camera so anyway uh where's this go on your list richard
3: I have this at number 28. This is just below The Earthling and just above Brubaker.
1: Okay. Jess?
2: I'm still tweaking my list a little bit. Um, I lowered it a little after a conversation.
3: (laughs) I also, I I have to say, I also lowered it at post-conversation. Yeah. So Uh, it
2: was much higher. (laughs) It's 29th on my list. It is just above Fox's and just below Coal Miner's Daughter.
1: Okay i think it's 71st on my list Whoa. so it's just under Najinski and just above roadie
3: okay I'm, I'm i'm you know what i'm i'm pleased with that <laughs> i'm pleased that it's, yeah because it, it not just it made me mad list.
1: discussing it like because i'm realizing how badly they screwed up and how the person who wrote this has no business writing a time travel movie our director was don taylor he directed escape from the planet of the apes Omen Two and the 1977 Island of Dr. Morell.
3: He was also one of the actors of Stalag 17, yeah. which I was very pleased to, to see. I was you like, "You
2: always are." Yeah, I was like,
3: "Oh, he played Dunbar."
2: Oh, you knew who he was this time. Yeah. Unlike the last two
3: times, <laughs> you knew somebody
2: from Stalag. 17. Yeah, yeah.
3: This was, this time, <laughs> this time I know because he's the, the the central character who was captured and then goes missing in the camp, and the the Germans want to know where he where they've been hiding him because they're trying to the the camp is trying to smuggle him and escape him out
1: i still have not gotten around to seeing that one but i should the story slash writing credit was for thomas hunter before this he wrote the screenplay for the human factor not the macgyver episode (laughs) Uh, mostly acting credits he was in his own script the human factor as well as something called x312 flight to hell which sounded neat the another one of the story and uh, screenplay writers was Peter Powell, who was a co-writer on the Human Factor, not the MacGyver episode. And the third story slash writer credit was for David Ambrose, who also wrote Survivor, Amityville 3D under a pseudonym William Wales and D A R Y L, which I've never seen. Daryl?
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. I have a poster for that. <laughs> <laughs> you of course you do.
1: And then the person who was just a writer and was not actually given a story credit was Jerry Davis, who was a story editor on the Doctor Who series, and created the Cybermen, who have appeared in many iterations of the show, all of which grant him story credits. Kirk Douglas was Captain Matthew Yelland. He's Spartacus, Van Gogh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. We had him earlier this year for Saturn Three and Home Movies. Martin Sheen was Warren Lasky. He's in Badlands, Apocalypse Now, uh, probably best known as the president on the West Wing, President Bartlett. During his time on the West Wing, he was often introduced at speaking engagements as the acting president of the United States, which I always thought was funny. He is the father of actors Charlie Sheen, Emilio, Renee, and Ramon Estevez. Catherine Ross was Laurel Scott. She was Miss Robinson, not Mrs., Miss Robinson in The Graduate. She was Etta Place in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. She's Joanna Eberhardt in The Stepford Wives, Dr. Lillian Thurman and Donnie Darko, and she's the wife of Sam Elliott. James Farentino was Commander Richard Owens and Mr. Tideman. He was Captain Jensen in Bulletproof, which is a movie I like with uh, Damon Wayans and Adam Sandler. You Mm -hmm. ever see that?
3: Um, uh, that, Does that end at the
1: Coliseum, the L.A. Coliseum? You know, it's been a while since I saw it. I don't remember. It's possible. He also played Simon Peter in Jesus of Nazareth and Sheriff Dan Gillis in Dead and Buried. Ron O'Neill was Commander Dan Thurman. He was the priest in Superfly and Superfly TNT. He plays Bella in Red Dawn, and he plays Lieutenant Charlie Garber in When a Stranger Calls. Charles Durning with Senator Samuel Chapman. We had him earlier this year as Arnold Arnold in Die Laughing. <laughs> He'll show up in Scarface as an interrogator voice only, which is the same credit we mentioned for Dennis Franz in our Dress to Kill review. Moretti in Dog Day Afternoon, Doc Hopper in The Muppet Movie, Capio O'Daniel and O Brother. He also played Santa Claus in Elmo Saves Christmas.
2: And he doesn't play Lebowski. No, he's yeah. not David Huddleston.
1: <laughs> he wasn't in Gorp. Uh, Victor Mojica was Black Cloud. He played Johnny Firecloud in Johnny Firecloud. He played <laughs> Mono in Blood in Blood Out and Ventura in Don't Answer the Phone earlier this year. I don't remember who Ventura was. I'm guessing one of the cops. Soon-Tek Oh was Samura. that's the P-O-W that they have on board. He's the voice of Mulan's father, Fa Zhao. Uh, he's also hip in Man with the Golden Gun. He plays Sensei in Beverly Hills Ninja, or as I like to call it, Proto Kung Fu Panda. And he's the bad guy Raymond Ling in MacGyver episode Murderer Sky with Tia Carrera. Harold Bergman was a bellman. He plays a reverend in Cocoon and Dr. Irwin in Cocoon 2. Not clear if those are the same character. Uh, who knows? Lloyd Kaufman was Lieutenant Commander Lloyd Kaufman. He co-founded Trauma Entertainment. At the time of this recording, Kaufman has 25 acting credits, ranging from announced to post-production. So currently, in the works, he has 25 acting credits and 364 total on his page. Wow. He's best known for the Newcomb High movies, the Tromeo and Juliet, and Toxic Avenger for Trauma. Peter Douglas played the quartermaster. He's the son of Kirk. He wrote and directed a movie called Tiger Tail, which stars Anne Margaret from our previous episode, and Charles Durning from this one. He also produced some great films like Fletch and some real clunkers like Fletch 2. (laughs) Ted Richard played Tideman's assistant. He's Roger England in Eyes of a Stranger. He plays Raoul, the hotel manager, in Piranha 2. And he also plays a maitre d' in Porky's 2. Richard Liberty played Lieutenant Commander Moss. He plays Logan in Day of the Dead. He plays Mr. Howard, the man who moves into Joey Freeman's house while he's missing in Flight of the Navigator. Mm. And he plays Commissioner Couch in Porky's 2. He's also Artie in The Crazies. And the last credit I have here was Jack McDermott, who plays Wynn. He was a spectator in Cocoon 2. And he plays Mr. Harper in Funhouse next year.
2: Sorry, can you go back and explain uh, proto-kung-fu panda?
1: (laughs) Uh, Have you ever seen the movie Beverly Hills Ninja?
2: I don't know. I don't remember. Okay, Beverly
1: Hills Ninja is about this fat white guy named Chris Farley who loves to eat food and he is training to be uh, like samurai warrior and they find some scroll that says that he's the chosen one and everyone's mad because he's this big fat guy who just wants to eat food all the time, and then he goes and saves the day. It's just—it's exactly that the is, plot of Kung Fu Panda, but live the action. Plot
2: of Kung Fu Panda. Okay, I think we had to watch that. I have not seen that. that it's good, I like familiar. it.
1: I mean, I like almost every Chris Farley movie. There's not really a bad one. But it's crazy, because he was gonna be in Shrek, too. Yeah. Well, Shrek 1, I should
3: say. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, speaking of uh, Chris Farley, I wanted to bring up the cinematographer Victor Kemper. Oh, okay. Uh, just because he's got a lot of really interesting uh, credits, including Night of the Juggler, which we had earlier. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, Mr. Mom, Tommy Boy, Cloak and Dagger. Nice. Uh, I'll get my Cloak and Dagger reference in there. Jingle All the Way, uh, but he did like Beethoven. I saw another one on here that I really liked. Pew's Big Adventure. There you go. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, cinematographer for that. So, um, there was a lot of interesting credits. That is I like. that his
1: only Tim Burton
3: one. Um, he also did Vacation. Uh, yeah, it's the only Tim Burton one I see on there.
1: It's funny. I feel like the cinematography for, uh, Big Adventure is a lot like, the way they lit the TV show for all the little sketches and stuff mm. that they did. Um, but yeah, I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd Whereas as I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Because this is our first episode of the month again, I wanted to remind our listeners about our Patreon campaign for anyone who hasn't had time to check it out. We have a couple tiers to choose from. Vintage Video will always be free to listen to, but if it's worth it to you, a donation as small as a buck a month is greatly appreciated. We are into August now. We've been doing the show for seven months. This is our 91st episode and we're averaging 13 titles a month and expect to cover about 14 a month on average over the course of the year. Which means that for the buck a month tier, you're donating 7 or 8 cents an episode. We also have a $5 tier, about 36 cents per film, which includes a shout out on the show and a monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's film. We've recorded seven so far, and for September, our second-tier members are choosing between five titles, Five Easy Pieces, Bob Rafelson's American drama starring Jack Nicholson and Karen Black, Tora, 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 an epic war film dramatizing the attack on Pearl Harbor, clips from which were actually used in the final countdown, Hornet's Nest, an Italian-American precursor to Red Dawn with Nazis for Russians, starring Rock Hudson, Gas, S -s, a.k.a. (laughs) Gas, or It Became Necessary to Destroy the World in Order to Save It, a post-apocalyptic black comedy directed by Roger Corman, featuring appearances by Ben Vereen, Bud Court, and Talia Shire, and RPM, Stanley Kramer's drama about student activists occupying a campus building and issuing a list of demands to the faculty, each of which will be celebrating their 50th anniversaries this September. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find our campaign at patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. If not, I hope you'll at least do the honor of continuing to listen. Thanks again, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Hunter, final film of actor Steve McQueen, which IMDb describes like so. The story of professional bounty hunter Ralph Papa Thorson. We leave you now with the trailer for The Hunter.
0: Steve McQueen is level-headed. He's eagle-eyed, two-fisted, a tower of strength. He's not as fast as he used to be. That's what makes him human. But he is the hunter. And that's what makes him dangerous. Mr. Thorson is a bounty hunter. Sheriff wants to see you. Now. now look, Sheriff, I've come over 1,500 bucks. Goodbye, Mr. Thorson. Bye, Sheriff. Steve McQueen is the hunter. The true story of Ralph Thorson. A man who's just as soft-hearted as he is hard-headed. But he's not a cop. He's America's last bounty hunter.
3: Where'd he come from?
0: The courts have given him the right to go anywhere.
3: They may pursue principle into another state.
0: And use any means.
3: Necessary me breaking
0: into his home to bring criminals back to justice Yeah I'm gonna kill you, but now someone he went after is coming after him remember how to shoot this right? Yeah Okay, it's got a full clip Bang 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 bang, Okay. okay Assault attempted murder armed robbery very bad boy. No, he's a good boy. He's a little mixed up, maybe. And he's a shooter, too. He really wants a come in. You see how happy he'll be to see you. You'll talk, you'll make friends. Mm-hmm. There's not a criminal he goes after that he doesn't bring back. One way. Or another unless they can get to him first. Steve McQueen is the hunter.